Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, it's so good to be, to be here uh, this morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, it's good to see your faces. Good to see you this morning. I'm excited to, to open up God's Word this morning and share uh, what He's put on my heart. Um, you know, but before, before I wanted to share that, even um, as, as you guys were sharing, I just felt like in my own heart, as I was listening to you share about like just 22 years of serving and crew, that uh, God sees your faithfulness, your consistency, that He sees you, He's honoring that. And um, I, I just know that I just felt this real strong sense that God is so pleased and He's, he's just blowing wind in your sails to continue to go. Um, and I, I, was, I just wanted to encourage you with that. What, a, what an awesome thing to be in something for that long, to see God's faithfulness in, in, in equipping you to pursue a generation. Um, I just want, I don't know, we should just continue to pray and cover them with our, with our prayers. Um, what I'm talking about this morning is, is this very idea of pursuit, pursuing the one. In fact, the note to self this morning is we must not forget to pursue the one. Um, one thing I can say, being a Zimbabwean coming from Africa, is that one of the, one of the main things, one of the biggest things that I noticed when, when, I, when I first came here was how big everything was. Everything was so big. The cars were big. The, uh, you know, go to the grocery store. That was an experience in and of itself. Like the cereal aisle alone was massive. It was like... I, I thought you only had cornflakes and bran flakes, but there was like 16 different remixes of Honey Nut Cheerios. I was like, what the, what is going on, right? And, and so everything is big. And because everything is so big, the temptation is that everything we do must be big or it doesn't count. The temptation is to think that God only works in big things. And yet we find that in the passage of scripture that I'm going to read is that God actually zones in and focuses in on the one. That there's an individual pursuit of you and I. There's an individual pursuit of the lost. There's an individual pursuit that if only one person was to hear the gospel this morning, it is not a small thing. It is a big thing. But our temptation is to think numbers, right? Like if we don't have thousands of people coming to know Jesus, then we haven't done what God has called us to. I can, I can say this and, and use this even from my own story to say that when you are the one that's been pursued, when you're the one that's seen, when you're the one that's served, when you're the one who's been showered with generosity, you love and appreciate the fact that I'm glad that someone somewhere did it for the one. Like my own story, my own journey as to how I came here eight years ago, if, we, if, you, if you don't know about it, like just a quick recap, I'll tell you this, I came here eight years ago because I was dying in a hospital in Zimbabwe of end-stage kidney failure. 
And as I was dying in this hospital in Zimbabwe, hopeless, second poorest country in the world at the time, probably the worst, one of the worst healthcare systems that you'll find. I was dying in this hospital with my wife who I'd been married to for just over a year, watching her, her husband dying. She's pregnant. And I'm glad, and I'm glad, and I'm thankful, and I praise God that there's a pastor somewhere 7,500 miles away during the Christmas season who chose to shift his gaze off of the church and what was happening and with all the frantic planning that happens in the church as you're heading toward Christmas. And he shifted his gaze on this young guy who's in Zimbabwe who's dying of end-stage kidney failure and said, we're going to put our resources over there. We're going to see the one and we're going to serve the one. And months later, $250,000 this church raised for my surgery. And a, and a 23-year-old came and gave me an organ. I'm standing in front of you being able to preach the gospel because a people gathered and said, we have stuff to do, but we're going to look at the one. And that is the heart of God. I can tell you that it, 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 the heart of God is, is in both, but, but the heart of God doesn't limit us to only the big things. Maybe the call on your life, maybe everything that God has ever done in your life is for the one person who's going to encounter you at the grocery store. Maybe the call of God in your life is like the 23-year-old who gave me a kidney. This guy from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, Right? The, the, like the, like the, the, the whitest guy I've ever met, and I'm African. He had all the different color spirits, and, and he gave me an organ, which is why I like country music now, but he gave me an organ. And maybe that was the purpose that God... Can you imagine just one person? Can you imagine if we existed as a church for the one that even if just one sinner repented, we know that there was a purpose that Southridge existed. <sighs> Praise God. That fills me with hope and joy and excitement. And it, re, it, it, it reorients my heart that wants to make a massive impact. Right? We all want that, to impact millions. But it just it, it humbles our hearts and we can be content to know that maybe I'm here just for the one. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go through this passage of Scripture, one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. It's uh, Luke chapter 15. And Luke chapter 15, we're going to go through this step by step. And I, I pray this morning that, you know, even, even, even as I'm about to preach, that this will make sense to you as, as it makes sense to me. Because in some ways, my heart is so, has been so um, drawn into this passage this week that some of it might seem like scrambled eggs. So we really need the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and filter my words and, and, and make sure that you receive what you're, what you're meant to receive. Amen? So I'm going to pray right now. Father God, I, I, just, I just lift up this word to you. I pray, Lord, that in my, in my weakness, Lord, I could, I could never, never communicate the things that you want to communicate to us this morning without you. So Father, I, I, I humble myself and say, Lord, may you be the loudest voice in this room. Lord, may you, may you filter out the Rob stuff, Lord, and, and just make the, the, the you stuff stick. I pray, Lord, that a mighty work would be done, even in just one heart, Father. May we learn to celebrate as heaven does. When one sinner repents, 
We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place and in our lives. Amen. 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 So Luke chapter 15. If you have background in church, Luke chapter 15 is a, is a very familiar passage of scripture. It is Jesus telling three stories that sound pretty much the same. They're kind of, he's painting this picture, and as he paints this picture, he paints it in three different ways so that people truly understand and get what Jesus is saying. And, and, and we find in this passage of scripture that there's something that happens within the crowd that, that, that leads Jesus to unpack the far father's heart, the father's pursuit of the one. Uh, When you look at this passage of scripture, Luke chapter 15, you'll find that maybe the most popular two are the prodigal son, and you'll find a story about uh, the the lost sheep. Uh, It's a very popular story in church, and the lost coin is kind of like the one that that plays kind of second fiddle to those stories. But Jesus unpacks, and all these stories truly matter in in, in unpacking something that only Jesus knows of the Father that we don't know, that goes against even the cultural expectations of the time that Jesus unpacks it. So we'll start here in verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the picture that's painted before Jesus tells any of these parables is this. Jesus is standing, he's speaking, and there's tax collectors and sinners. And when you think about tax, you're like, what's what's so bad about tax collectors? Why does the Bible make much of tax collectors? Like, why is it tax collectors, you know? And maybe some of us who don't like paying taxes are like, well, I get it. You know, tax collectors and sinners are in the same bracket. But the the reality is that our, our, our version of the IRS is not what's going on here. Like what's happening in the Bible is, is something much deeper than that when it mentions tax collectors and sinners, when they're grouped in that way. You know, there's this awesome series, and, and I know I'm going to be like the gazillion pastor to say this, but this awesome series, series called The Chosen. And let me just say this. I'm going to say this. I'm a pastor. I love Jesus. And um, I have a little bit beef with, sometimes I have beef with Christian movies because they're just like, they're just quite not there. You know, it's like, okay, you know, you try, okay, God's not dead, part four. Okay, we know God's not going to die. Okay, so the reality is I, I have that. But The Chosen, I was kind of apprehensive. And then one day I found myself clicking and watching the series. And at like 2 a.m., I'm like, I'm like crying. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. Like, this is amazing. And, and as I'm watching this, you know, I'm seeing how Jesus calls Matthew, who's a tax collector. And the depiction of Matthew in this series is one that really shows you what a tax collector is, but doesn't even go to the depths of how evil and dark tax collecting was. You see, the Roman Empire at the time, it was so big and so vast. And that for the Romans to keep oppressing the different people in these different regions, they needed a big army. And to fund this big army, they had to tax the people. And to tax those people, some of their own people would become tax collectors, which is what Matthew was. So you find in this passage of scripture that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they're seeing these people that are, that are helping to collect money to keep their oppressors oppressing them. And they're drawing near to Jesus. 
And then you find that in that group, they're sinners. And sinners in the Bible, you'll find that sometimes it's referring to, it really is referring to people with obvious sin. People with known sin. People with the outward symptoms of sin. Right? People who, who, when you look at them, you know, like, you're like, that's, well, that's a prostitute. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to guess. I don't need to, that's what she is. Like the Samaritan woman at the well. Known for what she's doing. And we find that it's either the sick or the people, the outcasts. Those are the people drawing near to Jesus. Let me tell you, church. A church and a people, a follower of Jesus, who has their heart turned over, who loves the Lord, who is like, I am given over to the Lord. Do you know who is going to be drawn to you? It is those who have never felt love. Those who have felt like they're an outsider their whole lives. Those who have felt like they are a dead case. Those are the people who will draw near to you. Those are the people who will draw near to the church. A church that loves Jesus. A church that welcomes sinners. Southridge Church, there should be a banner outside. Sinners and tax collectors welcome. And let's just see who comes, right? HR Block, come. It's okay. You're welcome here. The reality is this. That the people who were attracted to Jesus, they caused something to happen as well. That as they drew near to Jesus, it it was the elite, the religious elite, the ones who, who felt like they deserved to be associated with God. They were standing at the back, probably with their arms folded in their religious garb and all their entitlement on display, and they grumbled and muttered, what is going on here? Who is this that, that welcomes tax collectors and sinners? And so we find in this passage of Scripture, we see first and foremost the heart of God. Church, can I remind you this? <laughs> we are the outsiders. Unless you were born Jewish and, you, like, and that's your heritage and you came, you're in need of Jesus, but, but we are the outsiders. The Gentiles, we are the outsiders. We're the ones who, who, were, who were on the outside. And then the Bible says everyone, all of us have fallen short. We're all in need of Jesus. Whether your sin was great or your, or your symptoms of sin are hidden, you're in need of Jesus. And so the heart church is this. We never stop drawing near to Jesus. As long as we understand what Jesus saved us from, as long as we understand that we are sinners saved by grace and by grace alone, we draw near to Jesus. You know, when you, when you hear of the religious leaders, there's this thing that, that has to be unpacked here. And, the, and, the, and, and, and sometimes, you know, when I first started coming to church, I was like, people would talk about religion as a bad thing. I was like, I thought you guys were religious. Aren't you religious? Like, why are you saying the religious? You are the religious. You're a church. And, but, but what it means, it's, it's this group of people that feel like their goodness earns them right standing with God. I've obeyed. I followed the rules. I go to church 52 out of 52 weeks. I'm a super Christian. Like a C on your chest. I'm a super Christian. I come to church if, That doesn't earn us right standing with God. It is through the cross, by faith, and faith alone. 
we were unable to wash ourselves. So church, here's some news for us that can smack us in the face this morning. The cross of Christ makes us, all of us, the biggest recipients of a participation trophy in all of history. We did nothing to earn it. Our right standing with God is given to us. And so you find Jesus is correcting this. And um, as he corrects this, he tells the story. He goes into these two stories. And, and this morning, church, I have an incredible feat. I, I have two points, only two points, two points to go through. And trust me, this is an amazing. Like, like I said, I'm from Zimbabwe. Church in Zimbabwe is like three and a half hours long. It's brilliant. Like I can go through every line for hours and hours. But today I'm going to go through two points. And the two points that I want to make this morning are, is that we should pursue the one outside and we should also pursue the one inside. That there is a one on the outside and there's a one on the inside. And we'll start with the one on the outside. And, and you find that Jesus tells a story. He starts with this parable of the lost sheep. And now Jesus also goes into a story at the end. The last story that he tells is the parable of the two sons, of the lost son. And so we'll find that the lost son, the younger brother in that last story, we'll find that he is more like the one who's lost on the outside. But there's two sons. There's an older brother who is like the coin that is lost on the inside. And we'll find here in this passage of scripture as we start, Jesus, as he hears their muttering, as he, as he, as he, can, as he knows all things, knows the hearts of the Pharisees, he goes into this passage and he says this, then Jesus told them, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the first story Jesus tells is for the people in the front who are drawing near to him and the people at the back. He says, suppose any of you have, 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 have a hundred sheep and one goes off. Will you not go after that one? And what Jesus is painting is this picture of the Father's heart, that in the Father's heart for us is that he would leave the 99 to follow the one. He would leave the 99 to follow the one. He would leave them in the open field. Now, if you're on the inside, can you imagine how that feels? God would leave me to pursue the one lost sheep? Jesus is making it obvious. These guys in front are the one. You are the 99. God will leave you to pursue them. It's actually happening right now because I'm God in the flesh. And so he says he'll pursue the 99. Yeah, the pursuit of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Church, may I remind you that no matter how you came to know Jesus, he pursued you. Can I remind you that even if you were a Christian from as young as you could remember, that God pursued you. God pursued us, that we were caught up and we were entangled in the snare that the enemy had set up, but God in his great love pursued us. God pursued us. 
You know, I don't know if any of you have ever watched the 2008 blockbuster Taken. Anyone ever watched the movie Taken? All right, Taken. If you haven't watched it, don't even venture in that direction. They're like three of these movies. And by the third one, they get annoying because you're like, you keep losing your family. But the first one, the first one, right? In Taken, the first one, it's a story about a father whose daughter says, hey, listen, dad, I want to go off to Europe with my irresponsible friend, right? So I'm not saying Liam Neeson is a good dad, okay? Because you shouldn't do that. So I go off to Europe at 17 and they tour and they, and they go around and she gets kidnapped. And after she gets kidnapped, the kidnappers call the dad. And in one of the most epic dad scenes in movie history, Liam Neeson gets a phone call. And he says these words back. He says, I don't know who you are. In his gruff voice, I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. This is awesome! It's an awesome scene! The only thing that makes us better is if you're playing Reckless Love in the background. And it's like, oh, you're like, ah, there's no wall, you know, climb up. This father saying, you've, you've got my kid. But I'm telling you, I'm a, for the people who are harming those that belong to me, I'm a very, very dangerous person. And the pursuit of God is that the enemy had us entangled. And the speech that the Bible echoes is that I will pursue you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And on the cross of Christ, do you know what happened? Let's not measure this as a low thing. Death was defeated. Jesus on the cross killed death in our pursuit so that we could be free. That's why we sing those songs. That's why we say there's no war, you won't get down. You know, in Africa, I don't know, I can't wait to sing Reckless Love in Africa because we action. There's people flying through the sky in church because they're like, that is the pursuit of God for me. What a beautiful picture. God's pursuit is one where he just knocked down the walls. You know, this morning, church, we, we can look at this passage of scripture. I, I've preached this before, I've heard it preached before. Hey, sheep are dumb, sheep are prone to wonder, sheep are idiots. And listen, if you want to go YouTube dumb sheep when you get home and you'll see. But this morning, can we focus on the shepherd? The shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who pursues us, the one who lays his life down for us. Jesus says this, and you'll find this in Scripture. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus laid his life down for us. That's his pursuit of the one on the outside. And we find in the story of the prodigal son, he was, the younger brother was the lost sheep. It says in verse 11 that, that it says this, that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant land, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
Jesus tells of this lost sheep, this lost son, who goes to his father and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. You're dead to me. I want to be cut off from you. I want to live my life. Isn't that the sound of culture today? Right? Everything is telling you, you do you, boo. Go live your life. Live your truth. And so even in some way, we might be saying, we're cutting ourselves off from the Father. We just want our way. We think we know better. Just like the younger son had done this, he decided to live his life. And it says that he squandered his wealth. He thought he knew better. Church, I can say this. We are not the first generation to say or to struggle with us trying to go our own way against God. We're not. You read the Bible, it happens over and over and over and over and over again. And at some point, and at some point, every society, every culture, every people group that you read about in the Bible goes, we've gone our own way and it's messed up and we need to return back to God. It's always unfulfilling. Trading God's truth for a lie is always going to lead to an unfulfilled life. And so we find in the son, the lost sheep, the one who was lost, he ran and said, I want to do my own thing. And he found himself in a position where God, in a way, Jesus is saying God had given him over. He gave him his inheritance. He didn't fight him. He didn't, he didn't keep him there. He said, okay, here you go. And that is the scariest thing for us, church. When the Lord says, and we say, we want our way, we want our way, we want our way. And God says, have your way. It's the scariest thing in scripture. And we find in Romans, it says this, Romans 1, 21 to 25, it says, therefore God gave them over. That's scary. God gave them over. Gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we find, we find that that is the worst place to be. We find it was unfulfilling for the, for the younger brother when he exchanged all that he had with his father for this life in a foreign place. Everything that we think is going to fulfill us, church, if it's not the presence of God, if it's not God's word, if it's not God himself, like, it's going to fail. Church, I don't know what desire you have in your hearts that you feel like it's going to fulfill you, but we know, we know, for some of us, we now know that it is unfulfilling. Except for if it's not Jesus, if it's not the word of God, if it's not God, it's unfulfilling. It just will not reach that. It just won't fulfill our hearts, church. Because it's, we're trading the, the false thing for the real thing. And it, it's never going to satisfy. You know, if, like last year, I, I got invited to preach and I, I was pretty close to Orlando, Orlando, Florida. And they said, hey, listen... 
You can bring your whole family. So I, I brought my whole family. I realized that we're not far from Orlando. And so I said, oh, you know what? Like, I was like, I don't know. Maybe this is what shows you that I'm not from here. I was like, you know what? We're just going to go to Disney World. I was like, on a whim. I didn't realize people save and save and save and save and save to go to Disney World. But I was like, you know, we're just going to go to Disney World. So we go to Orlando. We get a hotel. And we're like, okay. And I had faith. I don't know what my faith was telling me. It was telling me we're going to go down in the lobby. There's going to be a family there that's going to be like, oh, we have to leave a day early. Anyone want to go to Disney for free? And we're like, hey, we want to go. And that didn't happen. So I told my kids we're going to Disney. I made sure I said Disney and not Disney World. So I'm not a liar. Say, hey, let's go to Disney. We're in the vicinity. So we go and, um, and we can't go to Disney World. So I, I, I just go, hey, we're going to go to Disney Springs. And so I take my kids to Disney Springs. Their, their little minds were blown. They were like, this is amazing. You're the best dad in the world. They're going all around. You know, Disney Springs, Anna and Elsa, they're not real. They're just mannequins. They're like, there's Anna, there's Elsa. I'm like, yeah, that's them. Go. And I took pictures. And there was one ride in Disney Springs. I put my kids on there. And I was faster than the ride. I could run faster than the ride. And they were loving it. And, and, and they thought I was the best dad in the world. And, and for two months, I walked into my house so proud. Hey, who took you to Disney? Remember, I did. I took you to Disney, right? <laughs> and then one day, I came home, and my daughter was, was just so upset, and she was sad. And she looked me in the eye, and she, and she, and she said, my, my, my littlest one, and she said, she said Dad, I want to go to the real Disney. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what four-year-old in your class snitched on me? Like, I was the best dad for so long. <laughs> Like, right? She must have gone to school so proud. Like, so, you know, I went to Disney. And her friends were like, I've been to Disney too. And it's like, yeah, remember that one ride? It's like, hmm, that's not Disney World. That sounds like something else. There's more than one ride. And Anna and Elsa actually moved. They actually be And my kid must have been so heartbroken because someone who had been into the Magic Kingdom was telling someone who experienced Disney Springs that that ain't it. Church, everything this world has to offer is Disney Springs compared to the kingdom. And if you're satisfied with Disney Springs, go ahead. Like you're, you're the marble countertop, Disney Springs. You can get a yacht, Disney Springs. You can go anywhere, Disney Springs. You can get a promotion, Disney Springs. If you're single and you think marriage is going to be Disney World, it's Disney Springs. It's awesome, but it's not the kingdom. And I love my wife, but she's not heaven. <laughs> and so church everything that the bible points us to is saying there is more jesus is the one who says i have come to reveal the kingdom and i have come to give life and life to the full everything the enemy has for you is to steal kill and destroy and we find in this story when the son comes to his senses and he's in the pigsty eating the pig, the pods with the pigs he realizes man i had it better if i was a servant the servants at my dad's house have it better. I might as well just go back and be a servant. We find in the story that he doesn't go back and be a servant. Two weeks ago, I preached on this and I said, hey, listen, guys, while he was away off, his father ran toward him, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, said, your identity is not a servant, you're still a son. That's what that means. Here you go, you're still a son. And he killed the fattened calf. He was like, I'm so glad you're back. We're going to have steaks. 
and they're going to throw a party. And if you're lost and you're, and you're coming back to church and you're far, I'll say it over and over again. The Bible says that when you return, when you say, God, I, 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 have, I have turned away. I've repented. I'm no longer going this way. I'm now going back to you, Lord. God runs towards you. That, that for that friend at work who says, I can't come to church because I'll get struck by lightning as soon as I enter. You need to tell them that the father doesn't, it's not waiting with the lightning bolt at the door. He is running towards you to put a robe on you covered in his righteousness and your identity as son. And we find he goes back. But we find as well, church, that Jesus tells another parable and he says that there's a lost coin. And he says this, and this is my last point. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus says, there's the sheep that's lost outside, but there's the coin that's lost inside. And here's the heart of the Father. Hey, church, I, I, I read this over and over again last night. As a, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, over the last few years, I, I, I've, I've at times become discouraged when I see all these, these quote-unquote big-name pastors falling. And I felt like, Lord, like, why is this happening? And as I read this passage of Scripture, I was reminded by just the description that's in here of the lost coin. And it says this, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? If you read Psalm 139, you'll find that David said, You have searched me and you know me. And church, what a scary prayer it is to pray as a Christian. To say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. As, as, as a follower of Jesus, and I'm talking to those who are already following Jesus. I'm talking to those who have been in church so long that the seat you're sitting in right now, people know it's your seat. I'm talking to the people right now who have the Bethmore studies on a VHS tape. You've been a Christian so long. Lord, search my heart. The prayer never changes, church. Because we can be lost on the inside and not know it. We may not have the outward symptoms of sin. We may not have them as visible. But church, I know, because I, I, listen, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pro-Christian as well. Listen, I'm standing behind the pulpit. And I'm saying, Lord, search my heart. Because I know how to play church. I know which part of the song in Oceans, when Oceans plays, I know the part where you raise your hands. Spirit, lead me. You raise your hands. You're like, that's where I raise my hands. I know I've been in the car with my family on the way to church. Isn't that a spiritual warfare is home to the church as you're driving? You're like, how did you forget your shoes? How did you forget your shoes? You're four years old. Like, and, and you're shouting. When you get out the car, you quickly put on your spiritual spanks and you're all perfect. And you walk. How are you doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're doing great. Loving the Lord. We were fighting two minutes ago. Church, Lord, search my heart. 
You know what, church, where, where the Lord needs to search our hearts this morning? The Lord needs to search our hearts because in the story, you find that there's an older brother who says that he's been faithful, he's been obedient. He stayed. The younger brother did what we all identify with as sinful behavior. But the older brother, he stayed. He was faithful. He served. And you find in this passage of scripture, he says this, he says, he says, he says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to go into the party for his little brother. He refused. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. There's your Bible. says, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. All these years I've been faithful and you haven't even given me a goat to, to celebrate my faithfulness to you. I've been slaving. Listen to those words. So full of anger and resentment. There's a stake and you wanted a goat? I've been there, church. Lord, I've looked at, sometimes I've looked at people, and you know there you know, are people, let's be real here, church. Let's not play church, let's be real. There are people you're like, I don't think I want them to come to church, right? I'll make it very uncomfortable for you. There's some thems that are out there. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure, like, ah, oh, they, they're too messy. The Bible says this, the Bible doesn't hide this. Remember when Lazarus was in the tomb for four days? Maybe go read that story. <laughs> it's amazing. When Jesus was about to resurrect him, what did Martha say? Mm, he's going to stink. I mean, I'm about to bring him back to life, and that's your concern? Go get some axe, Okay. <laughs> When revival hits church, we cannot grumble. We cannot be postured in a way where we're making people try and clean themselves before they come through these doors. We have to say, we know you're going to stink because I stunk when I came to church. And we know you, you're going to have issues. And we know that there are going to be complications. Church, when revival hits, there are going to be people in relationships that come through these doors that we can't untangle or explain, but we just love them. We say, our hearts are open because this place welcomes sinners. This place welcomes sinners because it welcomed me. That's the heart of the Father. And if there's anything, church, we need to, re we need to, re um, we need to see that the battle is spiritual. It's not against flesh or blood. It's not against other people. The battle is spiritual. And so to the flesh, to people who are just like us, we love them, we bring them in, and we continue to be on our knees in the spirit saying, Lord, may you shed light on them. Lord, may you, may you bring them to a place of repentance and walking in the ways that you've called them to walk in just like you've done with me. So church, I, I want to encourage the ones who are lost on the inside. Because I can get lost on the inside too. Search our hearts, Lord. Shine a light on the parts that are dark in us. Soften our hearts. Let us know, Lord, that this is your kingdom. 
You know, and I'll close with this, church. I tell this story, and I'll close with this story. I'm sorry I've gone so long, but I remember once I had to go see a specialist. And, um, and I remember I went to the specialist, and, and, uh, and the person at the front desk was just so rude. I mean, they were so rude. They were so rude, I left. I said, I don't want to see this doctor. If this is the person at the front desk, I don't really want to see this doctor. I'm going to book another appointment with another specialist. I'll wait. In our church, sometimes I imagine this story. What if the younger brother had met the older brother before they met the father? What would they have thought of the father? Church, sometimes people meet us first before they meet the father. We, at times, are the front desk. And we must, church, we must accurately represent the Father so that no one turns away from the Father because of us. This morning, I just pray that my heart, your heart, would be one that has the Father's heart, that sinners would be welcome, the outsiders would be welcome, and they would be reminded that they are loved just by experiencing us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have done a work already and that you've already opened eyes this morning far beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. I just pray, Lord, that we heed these words, that they will do a work in our hearts, that, Lord, those who need to come to a place of repentance would repent And those who need to step forward with confidence to know that they're welcome would step forward with confidence knowing that they're loved, they're welcomed here. Father, we trust that you would do the work, that you do the transformation, that you change the hearts, not us. You are the one who's capable. And we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, thank you, Rob, so much for being with us this morning. Um, Pray that the Holy Spirit uses that in our lives, not only today, but throughout the week. Uh, Thank you for your challenge uh, from Scripture. Our prayer team is down here to the right. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. If you could just thank Rob one more time for being here, that'd be awesome. Well, I hope you have a great afternoon. Uh, Thank you for joining us here at Southridge. Take care and God bless.